Welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura. I am a psychologist, business leader, author, speaker, and advocate. I'm passionate about bringing experts from around the world to you with a variety of topics at the intersection of where work meets life. I'm excited to be doing this podcast to educate, share knowledge, and raise awareness. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to being here with you today. I'm delighted to be here with Dr. Karen McNeil today. I've had the pleasure of knowing Karen McNeil for 12 years. Karen is also a psychologist, but she specializes in mental fitness and high performance. She's a performance consultant, a speaker, an advisor with over 20 years experience. The pinnacle of her career has involved uh, involvement in five Olympic Games. So she's performance consultant for the Canadian Olympic Committee. And at the 2018 Olympics, she performed this role in Korea and will perform the same role in the 2021 Olympics in Japan. Karen takes the lessons she's learned from being an elite athlete as well as coaching and working with elite athletes to help make people, organizations, and leaders more effective and resilient. Karen has won numerous awards, including a Woman of Inspiration Game Changer Award, Top 40 Under 40, and was recently asked to be a TEDx speaker. I'm just delighted to have Karen here today. She's a passionate mother to an adorable daughter, Piper. She's a wife, an outdoor enthusiast, and a psychologist I really respect in the community and in the world. Thank you so much for coming today, Karen, to speak on the topic of building mental fitness to be well and excel in work and in life. Thanks for having me, Laura. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, Karen... It's so exciting to talk to you about resilience, especially during these challenging times of COVID, the uncertainty. We're almost at a pinnacle today. I mean, today's November 18th. There's record levels of cases going on, not only in our part of the world, but in a lot of locations. Um, There's just economic uncertainty. People are just struggling. So how, Karen, are you influencing how people are living and working and, and trying to thrive today? Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's the thing. I think given what you've just named there, um, unprecedented event, uncertainty, unpredictability, I feel really blessed to have a skill set that can help people navigate this. And so really... Um, helping on a few levels. I would say for the individual, really normalizing and validating this emotional reaction. They are humans. This is an unprecedented, uncertain event. Of course, you're going to react in those ways. And so helping them to become aware of those reactions, but then giving them the information, giving them the tools and the skills in terms of how to regulate so that they have um, um, more brand-driven behavior and showing up how they want versus emotion-driven behavior. So I think that's on the individual level. I think how are we influencing you and I in these situations is, you know, when we look at return to the office, return to um, sport, there's a lot of great procedures in terms of how to keep us physically safe. Not sure if we're looking at 
how to make sure we're attending to psychological safety. And so I think the advocacy work or just getting that um, side of things into the conversation has been really critical as well. So Karen, it sounds like you're not only passionate about helping individuals and managers and leaders, but also helping at the broader societal level of how to integrate this talk about psychological safety and mental fitness into society. That's right. And I, I think it is. It's, it's you know, I love working with the individual and, and walking along beside them and helping them to create awareness and insights and build tools, but also from a systemic level. Um, how do we create an infrastructure around that individual to support them to protect and promote their mental health, mental fitness, and build resilience. So I think there's certain levels. If I just do individuals, I can do one by one. But if I can um, have impact on a systems level, then we can impact more individuals. Excellent. And how do you think we are doing as a society when it comes to this topic of psychological wellness, psychological safety, mental fitness? How are we doing overall? Yeah, I would say um, the great I don't. I never want to say the great thing about a pandemic. I should never say that sentence. Um, but I think what it has uncovered is, I think prior to this, is everyone knew mental health, um, protecting, promoting mental health and mental well-being was important. Um, however, now it's a need. What we are seeing is the numbers increasing. There was a study done, a survey, 80% of the individuals said their mental health had declined since the start of this pandemic. Um, we're, we're looking at what's what's called um, the echo pandemic. So we'll flatten the physical health. Um, there's a spike in mental health that we need to flatten. I think it was the Canadian Mental Health Association in Nova Scotia, pre the shootings in April, had about 25 calls. That jumped to 700 in April. And so we're just seeing those numbers rise. So I think, how are we doing? Um, I think we're getting better. We have to utilize technologies. We have to be able to scale and we need to be able to um, make sure that we're being proactive and preventative versus reactive. Right. And it sounds like a lot in the past has been reactive. And what you're really driven to is to help society proactively. Um, to, to live in a more healthy way. And I really appreciate that term, an echo pandemic, because I worry about that too. I think that we're seeing record levels of, of anxiety. And yeah, so thank you for doing what you're doing to try to make a difference there, Karen. So back to the pandemic, how has it been an opportunity to evolve our work lives, mm -hmm. do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and when we look at our work lives, how, how can it evolve that? I think the genie's out of the bottle in terms of the way we can work. You've been doing this work for what, since 2003, saying we can re work remotely, people, um, and we can be just as effective, um, and it can have huge impacts to um, um, uh, life, wellness, etc. And so, so I think the opportunity is that it has shown us that um, we can work in different ways than what we've been doing. And so I think, um, you know, having almost that hybrid model, I think we've talked about that, seeing, you you know, working a couple of days at home, a couple of days in the office so you can get those things done. How can that enhance your ability to spend more time with the family, to do those workouts or, or implement because you're saving some of that time? The challenge mm -hmm. is when we get into this cult of 
productivity and efficiency. And, and what we're finding, unfortunately, is people are working longer hours at home and they're not switching off and unplugging. So mm-hmm. the benefit, um, double-edged sword, right? We've got to just make sure we're giving people tools and resources to make sure that they're that it's not having a negative effect. Yeah, and we're seeing a fair bit of that too, especially in management, just working longer than ever and taking on really high amounts of stress and doing so with fewer resources. I mean, let's face it, there have been cuts. Organizations were already running lean before this even came about. That's right. That's right. And then I think just the the fear of the sustainability, are there going to be more cuts? I've got to do a great job so I don't get on um, that list of layoffs. And and so there's multiple factors at play. And I think that's the thing is whenever we look at mental fitness or, or developing yourself, it always has to be contextually based. What's the context around that? Because that's going to impact how you view the situation, how you think about it and how you behave, right? So we have to, I think, as leaders and organizations, really looking at the context in um, combination with the task and and what needs to get done. Exactly. And you used the word fear in there. And that stood out for me because I think there's a lot of fear going on. Our friends in the US are going through a really fearful time. Uh, We are, I mean, globally, everyone is nervous about this pandemic. So how do you think fear plays into or goes against mental fitness? Yeah. And so I think the thing is, is, is fear can be very adaptive. It's, it's very normal. It's very natural. And so I think what we need to do with that is, um, Susan David, I love her work. I don't know if you know her on emotional agility. And so the thing is, is, is the thing is emotions are, are what makes us human. And so if we have a, an emotion of fear, um, it's first of all, acknowledging that is normal and valid, but also looking at what does that tell me about what I need and what's important to me. So what we want to do with those emotions, with fear in particular, is, is what's the data from that? Not letting it be a director, not letting the fear, and then that creates a narrative in my head that the sky is falling and all these things are going to happen and I have to conserve, I have to work longer hours, and it puts us into these behaviors. So we really need to tease apart um, the fear is there to protect me, to keep me safe, right? It 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 turns on the system. Um, it allows me to focus on what's most critical. Um, on the flip side, when we overestimate the danger, um, that's when we get into some unhealthy practices and some unhealthy behaviors. So really creating that awareness, normalizing and, and naming it, but focusing on the facts. Mm-hmm. And and just because you think it or just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. Right. So you've got to separate those two things. And it's so interesting to see and hear all the reactions to the pandemic all the way to the extreme, you know, heavy, heavy fear to the it's nothing. I can just ignore it. Right. right. And to me, it's just, wow, such a diversity of reactions going on. Yeah, go oh, ahead. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say with that. I think too. Um, now that we're in the second wave, when we look at tolerance of everything, and you know, we, I would say, um, you know, people. I don't think it's that they they don't care. I think there's just there's a complacency, and there's a. I'm so fatigued by this that I just need to go on with my my normal life. Like there's this there's this grief and loss, yearning for pre-COVID life. So I think some people act as if just to get some of that normalcy, right? So I think it's just really, it, it comes down to one of those main factors of mental fitness, which is which is really that self-awareness mm-hmm. of um, what am I feeling? What's going on inside of me? And how is that, that, that contributing to the behaviors or how I show up in the world? Yeah, I love the way you put that. It's all about how we show up in the world on a day-to-day basis and not letting 
any emotion like fear control how we want to show up. Yeah. Let it be data. Don't let it be the director. Yeah. The director. Right? That's not, a good analogy, pushing, right? Pushing you around. Yeah. Yeah. And emotions yeah. can so easily become oh. the director, isn't yeah. it? The case. And that can lead us to plunge down the path of pretty significant depression or anxiety or right because they take the lead that's right well it all depends on your starting point so you and i are talking for an individual who is is typically mentally well um those that suffer from mental illnesses it's a medical condition that impacts the way we think and impacts the the neurochemistry of the the brain. Um, and so those individuals with pre-existing conditions, it can be really challenging. It's not as simply as think positive, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's um, making sure that we are resourcing people, creating awareness around these things and also giving them a pathway for coping because the thing is the stress load is just massive for a lot of people. That's a lot of the clients I'll get in is, is the sense of overwhelm. And so high stress, zero low coping equals mental health problems. So that's the proactive prevention. We get in we don't have the we don't have enough psychologists, psychiatrists to deal with the load that will happen if we just let this go. And so that's where we need to resource people, um, weekly psychological hygiene, um, making sure just as we do in physical health, we're taking care of our mental health ahead of the time that it gets into that disease um, or unwell wow. territory. You've said so much here. I'm just fascinated by how you put things. Um, hygiene. So what does psychological hygiene look like? Give me a couple of examples. Yeah. So so let's, let's for our listeners, I think we could all relate to um, um, physical hygiene or physical um, health, you know? So, so, you know, if I ask someone, what do you need to do to be physically healthy? What has your mama been telling you your whole life? You eat your vegetables. Yeah. Make sure you get sleep. You go out and play, manage your stress and you exercise. Okay. We know the formula. We know the algorithm. How about for your mental health? How do you promote mental well-being, um, protect mental well-being? And so really, it's it, we have to come up with that algorithm. And um, Bill Howitt, awesome thought leader, writes for um, uh, Globe and Mail, etc. And then I've added a little bit to this list from, from what I've seen. So, so here's what I would suggest is, is psychological hygiene on a weekly basis. You need to kind of cover um, um, these four pillars. Number one, the physical health that's going to impact mental health. So make sure you're getting your sleep. Make sure you're getting exercising. That's a massive piece for our mental health um, in addition to that that um, um, nutrition because that's going to impact things. Number two, daily, uh, weekly mental fitness or resilience skills. Those are things like journaling mm-hmm. or like mindfulness or um, um, looking at what's good, gratitude, right? So there's a multiple of skills. I don't know that they're exactly at everyone's fingertips. I think we're getting it out more now that this has happened and coping skills. So we're looking at those things. Would meditation fit in Meditation, yeah. And so mindfulness um, is a form of meditation. So a lot of people ask, what's the difference between mindfulness, being here right now, and meditation? Mindfulness is a form of meditation in which there's multiple types, right? So there's loving kindness meditation. There's transcendental meditation. There's mindfulness, right? So that would absolutely be, and that's a real good go-to. And there's multiple apps out there on that one, right? Um, and then the third pillar is connection. 
And so the 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 like when you look at the studies of the damage of isolation, it's worse than you know when when on one study it was worse than smoking, um, loneliness and isolation. And so having a connection plan. So on a weekly basis, who are you going to be connecting with? Whether it's you know for me, I have a friend that I pick a week that I'll call up or or just connect with in addition to my normal family and you know all those kind of things. Um, and then lastly, um, when I've added is is purpose and passion. And so on a weekly basis, what excites you? Where do you get your energy? So for me, it's my daughter, when she'll come in and making sure there's time for her, it just switches the mood right away. She's just amazing and challenging at times, but she's amazing most of the time. Um, or, or exercise, like I love mountain biking and skiing, those kind of things. And then the purpose one is more around what's the contribution you're going to make this week. So for me, um, what's one core contribution, I'm going to try and provide some skills and tools to people on this podcast. And if I do that, what impact may that have? Well, it could help one individual, which can help another. And so if you're linking to your purpose, um, then, you know, it kind of gives you that compass. We don't know what's going to happen in two months. We don't know what's going to happen. I know this week, this is what I can be doing. So I think, and once again, for individuals, they could be going, whoa, that seems like a lot. Pick one, right? Pick one thing from those four pillars. If you can do two, great. Three, perfect. Four, awesome, right? But create a plan and be diligent and um, intentional, I think is the key about it versus we just let mental health kind of, we, we, we kind of roll the dice and hope for the best, right? We have to be, we have to be intentional about it and strategic about it. The, the continuum of mental wellness and mental health to being mentally unhealthy and or having a mental challenge or disability, I want to understand, because I've described that wrong, probably, <laughs> being an organizational psychologist yeah, sure, and sure. and whatnot. Again, it, are people on a continuum of mental health or yeah. do you view it as a dichotomy, either you're mentally healthy or mentally unhealthy? Because I want to educate people on yeah. this because I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question and misunderstood, right? So mental health and mental illness are two different things, okay? And so so there is the continuum model. And so when we look at like a mentally healthy individual, simply put, is someone who can experience joy um, and cope with the many challenges, right? And so um, a mentally healthy individual um, can, can think in ways, can act in ways um, that allow them to enjoy life and cope with the many challenges. Someone who's mentally ill, um, it's a medical condition that disrupts the way or, or their ability to think clearly, um, to act in ways um, that um, um, will allow them to get what they need to out of life, right? Um, and so on this continuum model, it absolutely. So let's, once again, physical health is a good metaphor. We understand it. So we have a mental or a physical illness, okay? That, let's put that on one end. And then we have the, the Olympian on the other end, the really physically fit. Um, so we have an individual who isn't physically ill, but they um, eat Doritos, drink a lot of beer, sit on their couch, don't get out, don't see anyone. They're at high risk for that illness. And so there are certain things we can do to move up that continuum to be closer to the fitness. So we'll run, we'll, you know, we'll exercise, we'll eat well, all those kind of things. Mental health, it's the same thing, right? And so just because we don't have a mental illness, um, there are certain things that we can do to move up that risk continuum, right? And so we can go from 
thriving, um, to being um, um, good, to being okay, to struggling, to being unwell. And what you're going to be able to do, so someone who's thriving won't be able to, to use the same skills and tools and um, activate the same things as someone who's unwell. The unwell person is probably just going to start with the basics of just trying to get themselves through that day, maybe connect to some counseling support. The one who is thriving is going to drive towards higher meaning and purpose, um, really utilize some of those those different skills um, to uh, achieve goals and, and um, have impacts on their community, et cetera. Thank you. You've described that really well. And I'm sure for whoever is going to listen and watch this podcast. So let me ask you, what are your top recommendations to build mental fitness? And actually, you answered the four pillars for us. So I'm going to flip this question, not for individuals, but being an organizational psychologist and wanting to understand what organizations can do better and what leaders, because I see a lot of toxicity in organizations, yeah. a lot of bad behavior, a lot of egos, a lot of politicking and a lot of BS. So how do you deal with mental fitness when you work with an organization? Yeah. So so first of all, I would say the four pillars that I gave, that's and, and, and I think we've you know named the, the podcast really of how do we be well and excel. So I think those four pillars is the psychological hygiene. This is the basic stuff in order to just maintain balance, homeostasis, right? And so those are some of the things we can do. When we look at mental fitness, slightly different. So, so you know, how I define mental fitness is it's that ability to regulate those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It's um, the ability to act in consistent and purposeful ways and to cope with the many demands on the performer. So if we look at it and if I say, okay, Laura, you know, if we think about individuals out there, uh, whether sport or, or in organizations, an individual who's mentally fit, who comes to mind, right? So uh, your listeners, for our listeners, think of a mentally fit individual. So just pick one person who comes to mind for you. You. Yay. Okay, <laughs> me. Um, I'll, let's say for those who um, people who know, let's say Roger Federer is often acknowledged. And I would say Dr. Uh, Dina Henshaw. Like, the, the, anyway, so, so that would be one person that I would pick right now that we'd see in the public eye. And then I ask, well, what are those attributes? What are you noticing in those individuals? They're poised and calm under pressure. Um, their focus and ability to execute in the moment. Um, their um, looks like they 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 they're confident in their abilities. They can handle multiple of distractions, et cetera, et cetera. So so I think the difference. So so there's the there's the kind of psychological hygiene of what we need to do just to be well, and then there's mental fitness strategies, and these are the things that I'll use with Olympians, with executives, with leaders. And so when you go back to your question around mentally fit organizations is number one, we've got to take care of the basis. We've got to be well, right? So let's make sure we're doing that. Then to excel and take that next level, um, there's a few, and, and back to your question of what are those top things, I think the very first thing is clarity. Who, to, to be really crystal clear of who you are at your best. So for a leader, a high-performance leader, what are those things? If you're a high-performance leader, um, you're connected and engaged, you're executing, you're getting results, you're, you know, so you're, you have that real clarity. It's no longer about wellness, it's about execution. It's about performance, right? So a real clarity on that. And then once you have that clarity, um, then you want to build out the capacity. And that's where those mental fitness skills come in. Skills, I'd say the core skills are really around activation management. How do I calm the system? How do I relax and get grounded when I need to? It's about focus. 
hidden driver of excellence, right? It's focusing our attention on what's most critical in that moment. So you can develop some focus plans around that. And then um, it's about how do we handle the challenges that that come our way. The hardiness literature is my go-to, the three C's of hardiness, which is really about how do we endure difficult conditions. So that gives a long-winded response to um, just that difference between the, the, the basic mental wellness and mental fitness. Beautiful. So I, I think by developing mental fitness, a lot of organizations can up their game 100%. and a lot of leaders can up their game. And what are the three C's of hardiness? So the three C's of, of hardiness are number one, commitment. Okay. Why endure this difficult condition? Like why go to work? Why slug through, right? So really understanding what that contribution is. Okay. Um, control. So that's focusing 100% of the things on your control. We can't control the pandemic. We can't control the individual who's out there doing different things that we wish they wouldn't be. Um, but we can control thoughts, attitudes, efforts, and behaviors. So make your control plan. And then the third C is challenge, which is um, basically how, what's the opportunity in this? How can I rise in this situation? So for me and our community, it's really about connecting with people, um, an opportunity um, to break down barriers and come together to solve a problem, which is I've really seen. And then we added a bonus C, connection. What's that internal board of directors? So for each one of us, um, who's on your team? And they don't need to know if they're on your team, but who's your go-to for for financial advice, for technical advice in your profession, for emotional support. And they're typically different people. I unfortunately use my husband for each one of them and then we get into <laughs> fights about that and that's not his role, right? So anyway, yeah, so so those are the the three and the bonus C. Uh, Paul Paul Baritone, he wrote a book. It's just come out, um, I think 2019, I, I recommend. Yeah, it's called Hardiness. Hardiness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good recommendation. We'll make sure to summarize that. So... Work-life wellness is a term that we've been using in our own practice to replace the term work-life balance as much. And I'm just curious if you resonate with the term or not of work-life wellness versus work-life balance or both or neither. Yeah, and what they so, mean to you. Yeah, absolutely. I presented a while ago on something in this and I, I did some research on it and, and absolutely. And, and I completely, I think um, work-life balance is misleading and and it really depicts that whole idea of um you know there needs to be a balance between these different activities in our life so work and life and typically how they've phrase it is these things are competing and they're in conflict with each other. And so I think we have to shift from the mentality of thinking like to have it all balance to um, focusing on um, um, having what matters most. And so there was a model by Gratwich um, called personal resource allocation. And in this model, it's the whole idea of we have so many resources, time, energy, money, Energy is renewable. The other two are finite. Um, we have so many demands on our resources. Some are preferred and some are required tasks. So work might be a required task. Going out with the girls might be a preferred task. They both drain my resources. And then resource allocation is um, where am I choosing 
to put these resources and we're most satisfied when it's in alignment with how we want to live our life, when it's in alignment with our priorities. So completely agree. And and I'm not sure what the term, I don't think resort, personal resource allocation is good. I like how <laughs> you've languaged it. Um, but I agree. I think work-life balance is misleading and it's more um, work-life wellness, I think it, it is a good way of putting it because it captures all so that. So when you think of work-life wellness, so being well in whatever work you're doing and in your life, what does that look like for you personally? Tell us a little bit about a day in the life of Dr. Karen McNeil. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is, you know what, like, like uh, that psychological hygiene and making sure that I have my wellness planned, I'm being disciplined about that is critical. I am one who, as you know, um, um, is passionate and engaged and I, and I love so many things, but I'll over-program myself and then I'll crash, right? And so then I have to reset. And so for me, um, work-life wellness is having my, my weekly daily ritual. So I have a daily mindfulness practice. So every morning that I wake up, I'm doing that. I have a, a, a weekly fitness regime um, that is critical. Um, making sure that I'm connecting um, with friends, family, and, and, and doing those kind of things. And then I've added do nothing um, and white space, white space being like just space around everything else um, as a critical piece, because what happens is I will be just scheduled to the exact, you know, and, and, and then one thing tips over and then it all blows up. Right. So, so I think that's been something I've been trying to incorporate. Some weeks are better than others on that one. Okay. Yeah. I can relate to yeah. that. White's not an exciting color no, though. No, no, exactly. <laughs> I like bright yeah, colors. <laughs> yeah. I read this book, Laura, once again, another one I'd recommend, which changed. I did a pivot as a result of this book really? um, in, I think it was around April or May called do nothing. And it really is about that cult of efficiency and productivity that we have and I was listening to the book while I was doing a workout while I was watching my child play in the front so I think she was speaking to me in particular but how we try and do all these things at once right but do nothing I highly recommend uh, to our listeners I saw this little plaque at my massage therapist yesterday and it was about how nature doesn't rush yet everything gets done yeah <laughs> in due time yeah, right? that's right yeah. but I think as a as a human race and in our society in particular uh, we're just rushed all the time. That's right. And yeah. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy is the common answer to everything. Yeah. Doesn't allow us space for the unexpected. It doesn't. No. And for reflection. Yeah. That's the biggest piece that I've noticed is like, I'll go out for a walk um, to nowhere in particular to, to with nothing really going on with not a podcast in my ear um, and come back. And it's amazing what comes up in that time. Right. So it is. It's creating that kind of thing without an agenda. So it seems like I need to read that book and others. Oh, do nothing, do nothing. And I can't remember the subtitle to it, but um, um, uh, Celeste Headley is the author. But okay. absolutely. And and it, she really chronicles it over time. This cult of productivity where or f- cult of efficiency and, and busyness being the badge and, you know, the badge of honor. And and really, I think it's that whole idea of productivity was a means to an end where now it's become the goal. Right. Who, who goes for a walk and counts their steps? Right. It's like, whoa, how many steps can I get? Which is OK. But it's like, just go for a walk. Right. So, but I'm productive. Right. Yeah. So, um, I do love my Apple Watch. I know. What has been your greatest challenge when it comes to your own work life wellness? So, what I admire about you, Karen, is you've always been vulnerable and open and upfront. And how have you been challenged yourself and how have you overcome that? Because this is not easy. I know that from, yeah. from knowing you, but can yeah. you share with us? 
Yeah. So my biggest challenge in terms of work-life balance, I, I think it's what I mentioned is um, over-scheduling, over-programming um, to the point where there's no room. Um, I'm constantly switched on. It impacts my poor family because I'm I'm tense and I'm like snarky or whatever. I'm like, okay, hey, we got to do this, got to do that, and I'm rushing everyone around and you know. And so I think I think that is one of the biggest challenges because um, it's it, it's really just. Uh, I, I'm a helper. My why is to be a difference maker, um, to, to, to have an impact. And sometimes I'll prioritize others over myself or over my family sometimes, right? So that's where I've got to really watch um, and and really pare it down in terms of where can I have um, impact. But at the same time, I see success in life. It's not just what I do at work. It's having, you know, that um, uh, that balance, not balance, but that, that family, uh, what we need to be able to have those adventures, those connections, right? It's holistic for me. So it's when when my work and, and that drive takes over, that's where I get into trouble. And are you able to identify that? My husband well? tells me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, th- I think that's the thing. Like years of therapy. Um, I know myself super well. I know my tells in my body, like my, my teeth grit or when I get like sarcastic or snappy at people um, or um, I'm just like so fatigued. So, you know, I just, I'm, I'm aware of my tells. And sometimes I... I for I like everyone else I'll override the warning signs and um complete the job but then I need to really reset so yeah so so it's a work in progress and I think you know over this last little bit it's been I'm creating a better structure and I've gotten um a coach to help me out with that right just to hold me accountable and and help me kind of structure what um my work world and and life could look like to achieve my goals so I've gotten outside support to to offer that objectivity so I think that's critical as well. Awesome, because you're doing a lot. What three things are you most excited about that you've been up to these days? Um, so yeah, I think in sport, I've, I've really, um, you know, so I'm, I'm the lead mental health counselor and lead mental performance consultant for the Canadian Olympic Committee, uh, kind of gearing us towards these Olympic Games, but within that, the chair of the COVID-19 mental health and mental performance task force. So helping build this community of, of MPCs, we call it mental performance consultants. Um, I think that's been really fun and, and knowledge share and really support, uh, the sport world. I'm really loving, um, the coaching and consulting with leadership teams. And so I'm getting in with whether it's individual leaders or a team of leaders of how to build resilience, how to build mental fitness, and then how to create a culture of high performance. And so, you know, it's kind of those, whether it's in a larger organization, it's a a smaller business unit, or it's entrepreneur or boutique kind of teams where I can just work one-on-one with individuals and, and help acknowledge kind of the, create that awareness and insight, but build those skills and tools and then help them um, towards building a stronger culture um, so that they can all rise. That's been super fun. Lovely. It sounds so fulfilling and just so exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel so blessed and grateful. For that is awesome. What if you didn't need to sleep? And <laughs> I know that you do, of course, yeah. but what if you could gain back those eight or so hours a day into your life? What's something that you would add on or do? Yeah. Okay. If I didn't need to sleep, I think it would be a combo because for me, I like, there's three things. Like it's basically, I love 
the outdoors and exercising and, you know, like, like going skiing or mountain biking or those kind of things. So, so would include something like that. Um, I love learning. If I could listen to podcasts and read books and, and, you know, take courses, you know, so I'd, I'd pick something there. And then I love escape, a movie, a Netflix series. Uh, so, so I think I'd, I'd probably rotate or I'd, I'd, I'd combine these things and then I'd work when I was supposed to be sleeping. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. And your face just lit up even yeah. more than it usually does when you talk about learning in particular. Yeah. yeah. So I can really oh, I see, like yeah. I can see and feel your passion with that. Now, with this whole COVID scenario, as a, a performance psychologist and a mental fitness expert, uh, what would you recommend people can do regarding getting through COVID? Should they be listening to the media? Should they be dialing it down? What, Like, how should they be following the trends? And how can they get by if there's another lockdown? Yeah, yeah. I think um, there there's a few things. And so I think, first of all, that tool of self-awareness of knowing what you need, that's going to be different for every single person. Um and and once again, knowing if you're feeling more anxious, and if you're if that if that if there's that feeling of dread and fear, um, going through the media and and listening to the news daily is probably not going to be your best friend, right? So you know, get the information that you need. Pick a time when you're going to do that. Pair that after with a light or a fun activity, just so you can regulate the brain in that way. Um, I think the other thing is we have to realize the law of impermanence. This is a moment in time and it's a long moment. It's been nine months and we don't know how long it's going to be. But I think there was a meme um, with, you know, World War One and Two and someone sitting in a foxhole and another individual being shut down in their home watching Netflix. We can do this. Right. And so it's really, I think, a matter of acknowledging and not minimizing your experience and making sure you're connecting with others on it. But I think it's focusing on what's what's the goal in front of you, um, what, you know, following the recommendations and the rules uh, as you need, um, but then really taking care of yourself, that psychological hygiene, connecting with others, building your community taking it one day at a time. Um, you can forecast into the future. That's totally fine. Three, four months. Companies have to do that. But then really bring it back to this week, um, this next two weeks, and and go by that. Uh, and, and then be flexible and adaptable for that forecast, depending on how it goes. And it's really tough to plan beyond that these days in really our daily is. lives. But yeah. getting through a day seems much easier than trying to get through three or four months and then catastrophizing. Well, that's it. About This is not going to go away. Am I going to get a winter vacation I just hear people yeah. just struggling with that I think travel people really miss that's a big you know? thing and this is the thing I think when we look at you know a few things is is it's that yearning for that pre-covid life and 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 that's okay and so you know we've kind of said okay we're gonna we're gonna book a ski trip in February somewhere local you know in Canada whatever but let's just have something to plan for so it's almost uh, there was a coach the coach of um uh, the cavalry the Calgary cavalry Tommy uh, Wielden um and and they had to perform in the bubble right so they had the bubble the island games and he'd say for the guys to get them through that because they're cavalry right so it's the sugar lump so what's the sugar lump for that day so okay we ordered them pizza you know for that night because they'd had a good training session or whatever or we had a movie night and it's what's the sugar lump just to get you through that day right i really like that metaphor awesome. yeah i so, love that metaphor sometimes yeah. the sugar lump is a glass of sauvignon blanc for me <laughs> yeah yeah it might be for me too oh yeah. man so if you could have one wish for a better world when it comes to 
mental fitness, what would it be? I, I think the, the is to prioritize it, right? To put it on the line item. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's more than giving people permission around, you know, doing these things, but, but make training your mind a priority, um, uh, in organizations, uh, have the funding. Um, and I think larger for, for systemic let's validate and reinforce the importance through, um, recognition through, um, benefit packages. And so for example, there was a a company, I can't remember, like it was like Google or something where if you took all your vacation days, you got five more vacation days, right? So we're rewarding, um, training the mind, we're rewarding work-life wellness, right? So I think if, if I had one wish, it is to make that the, um, the standard or the bar uh, that we're ascribing to versus in, in combination with, you know, execution and getting results and all those kind of things. So, so I think it's making it a priority and um, having the system of accountability around it to reinforce people's behaviors to take action. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. You have covered a lot of ground today. You've talked about some things that I've heard before, but said in different ways. And you've also talked about some new concepts, uh, for sure. You've talked about leadership and organizations and the importance uh, of a performance-based organization that is mentally fit and healthy, really. I mean, I look at it as organizational health and resilience uh, for people. And then you've also talked about individuals. And and I really think the psychological hygiene will resonate with people. (laughs) I think of a stick of deodorant every day, but my stick of deodorant is the Deepak Chopra app, for example. Right, right. Um, Or the Indigenous spiritual teachings and sharings about the moon cycles and, you know, these different um, spiritual elements I I think are really important to me, but I think everyone's different. How mindfulness looks can be spiritually based or it can be other sorts of techniques, right? right? But hygiene, just like there's a whole bunch of brands of deodorant out there on the shelf, but I think um, making it a habit and we get so busy that the habit drops. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The discipline and the um, intentionality around it is, is the, is the key to it. Because right? it's easy to start. Yeah. The tricky part is 21 days and beyond. Yeah, that's right. Isn't yeah. it? Isn't yeah. it 21 days to set a habit? That's that- what they say. That's from the um, amputation research. Um, to the, they can finally, after 21 days, know that the limb's not there. But but really, in actuality, no. Um, it's that consistent practice. So yeah, 21 days. But it is. It's that consistent practice, and and it's setting the plan. But the system of accountability. Is, is so key in the infrastructure around you. Um, too often we place the onus on the individual. We need the system to support it as well, right? Right. The yeah. system being the organization or what else? Or your family or, um, you know. Governments. Governments, absolutely. Family, community. Yeah. Community, for sure. Schools. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think schools can play a bigger a role huge, here? Yeah, okay. for sure. And, you know, it is. It's what's involved in their curriculum. Is it just the learning or are they doing the mindfulness? Are they doing psychological hygiene? Are they doing, you know, connection to spirituality? Um, and once again, it's we, we what's it's reinforcing what's important in these things, um, and that's what people will ascribe to. Beautiful. Well, thanks again. This has been an absolute delight reconnecting with you, and I'm sure that our listeners and viewers will find this so useful. I hope you found it as useful as me. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me, Laura. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you found this content useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. In the podcast summary, you'll find links to my psychology practices, Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology for more detailed information, articles, and tips. I hope you have a wonderful, healthy day, and thank you for joining us.